How many persons condemned to the horrors of solitary confinement have gone mad simply because the thinking faculties have lain dormant? The writer Jules Verne said that, and it's particularly appropriate as one of the programmes I've been forced to watch from a prostrate position over the last two weeks has been the uh, Round the World in 80 Days. Yes, I'm sorry I missed you last week. It was the first time we've missed our weekly podcast in 192 weeks. The reason was I slipped three discs, I ended up with sciatica, and I couldn't move from my bed for two weeks. Anyway, I'm back, the podcast is back, and I'm moving again. What it does go to show is that none of us, obviously, should take anything that is connected to our health for granted. So let's kick off the photographic life, shall we? Do stuff, be clenched, curious, not waiting for inspiration's shove or society's kiss on your forehead. Pay attention. It's all about paying attention. Attention is vitality. It connects with others. It makes you eager. Stay eager. Susan Sontag said that. Of course, to many of you, Susan Sontag, why do I need to describe who she is? But if you haven't been through a photographic education with a theory element attached to it, you might not know. So bear with me whilst I run through a few thoughts. So Susan Sontag was an American writer, filmmaker, philosopher, teacher and political activist. She was mostly known for writing essays, but also published novels. She published her first major work, the essay Notes on Camp in 1964. Her best known works include the critical works Against Interpretation in 66, Styles of Radical Will in 68, On Photography, of course, in 77, Illness as Metaphor in 78, and as well as the fictional works, The Way We Live Now in 86, The Volcano Lover in 92, and in America in 1999. Now, Sontag was active in writing and speaking about or travelling to areas of conflict also, including during the Vietnam War and the Siege of Sarajevo. A photographer friend of mine who was there in Sarajevo told me that he was always a little bit concerned that she was checking him out and he might appear in one of her books. I'm not sure if that ever happened or if he was just being a little bit paranoid. But anyway, she wrote extensively about photography, culture and media, the AIDS epidemic, illness and human rights, and what I suppose could be described as leftist ideology. Not that there's anything wrong with that, I should say. Her essays and speeches drew controversy, and she's been described as one of the most influential critics of her generation. Now, many are evangelical about her writing on photography. I'm not, basically because I find it impenetrable. I may, in saying this, be committing a terrible crime, but it may well be because I've never had her writings explained to me. I never studied photography at art school and therefore was not introduced to her through formal education. I have tried to read her writing on my own independently, but I failed. What does that matter? Well, if I'm missing out on something, then yes, it does. But can I progress with photography without it? Well, yes, I can. 
I would argue that no writing on photography is essential. However, can it be useful in making you think? Well, of course it can. What you choose to read is your call, just as long as you read something. It's good to be able to utter these words again. This week, we welcome to the podcast a photographer to explain what photography means to them in less than five minutes. And this week is Andreas Weinand, who was born in 1958 in the Rhine region of Germany and who is now based in Berlin. He studied photography at the University GHS Essen Volkwang, graduating in 1990, and his photography is primarily engaged with research concerning personal identities and the exploration of relationships between the individual presenting his, her personality and the society to which he or she engages with. Between 1985 to 1995, he concentrated on three projects, Deutsche Volksfest, Colossal Youth, and reflecting, reflecting, I should say, oneself. Finance work has been exhibited extensively, including in exhibitions in Denmark, Belgium, Canada, Russia, Italy and Germany. And it's represented in numerous public collections. I'm stumbling over my words this week. That's what happens when you have a week off. Three books of his images have been published. The Good Earth, Colossal Youth, and Statland Mensch. Hello, I am Andreas Weinand. My use of photography is both straight and personal. I am drawn by questions about authenticity, truth, communication and awareness. Just to mention some definitions that I aim to provide balance with sense I have experienced in my life. For me, photography is a key to express myself, to reflect on life and the society I live in. It is about social consciousness. I do not make up a story in advance, but rather ask questions about topics that touch me on a subconscious level. Issues that I cannot express or describe by words in the beginning. Therefore, I start opening up myself to this unlimitedly seeming process of investigations over the years. Reading, interpreting reality, gaining deeper and deeper insights into the interactions of life are the inspirations that move me to keep on. While reflecting on a certain subject, I gain lots of general knowledge and personal experience that stimulate my consciousness. So, on the other hand, photography inspires my growth as a person. In the beginning, I used photography to look back, to get in touch with my feelings as a child, as a teenager, then, later, I turn to self-portraits in order to point out my position as an adult. My books Colossal Youth and The Good Earth are two personal milestones that reflect on how a chosen way of life defines our everyday reality.
Today, I reflect on the link between nature and culture. Take portraits, photograph flowers, vegetables and insects in the garden, as well as urban development and landscape design. I focus on ways and means for a life worth living. I have always developed my photography in the interplay of reflecting my personal feelings and social issues. I very well remember one of my first experiences with the necessity of pictorial design, of making a decision while photographing a mill and the pond in front, when I was a young boy aged about 13 years with my Kodak box. I immediately recognized that I could not frame both as a whole, but had to decide what to put into the image and to find the appropriate perspective. The process of making decisions about what to photograph and the questions about how it will look on the resulting image keep me still busy. When I photograph today, this works on a subconscious level. I have internalized the process of selecting and constructing content, but strongly feel my responsibility about the message I convey. The way I photograph directs the possibilities of imagination. I love to share and communicate my knowledge with images and words. I aim to inspire for a public dialogue about topics that have encouraged my personal conception of life. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, Andreas, for a very considered, thoughtful, and I think very gentle, but at the same time, very strongly felt contribution this week. It's always good to hear different people talking about their practice in different ways. The whole reason why I ask that question of a photographer every week. If you're not aware of Andreas's work, as always, check out his website. And you can find that by going to the United Nations of Photography uh, website. And on that website, where this uh, podcast is posted, you'll see, as well as the little biog on Andreas, you'll see the link to his work there as well. Check it out. As the leader of a photographic course at a university, I get a lot of emails coming to me from different people looking for photographers. It's always interesting to see how misinformed people are about the process of learning photography, and particularly on the course on which I lead, which is very career-focused, the lack of understanding that most people have of what a working photographer does, and also, I have to say, what is of benefit to a student. Well, my rules on this are pretty straightforward, which is that I will not put any student forward for any job that comes through to me that I don't think that they're capable of doing. And as we all know, working as a professional photographer takes a lot of skills and knowledge. And therefore, a student is rarely in a position at the beginning of their education to take those things on. 
So that's the first reason. But the second reason is that I don't want to give a job to a student that a local photographer who's out there and is working could do. I don't want to take the bread off the plate of the local photographer for the sake of a student getting that job because the person who's asking for the work to be done wants it done on the cheap. And that is where I suppose I really put my foot down. And I got an email recently from somebody, and this isn't the first time this has happened. It's happened on a number of occasions from somebody saying that they're getting married and they're looking for a wedding photographer. Now, it's not difficult to find a local wedding photographer, but as soon as I get that email, my sort of concern is always there that this is somebody who's looking for something on the cheap, as I say. As we all know, wedding photography is extremely difficult. It's physically demanding. It requires great skills of communication and empathy. And it also requires somebody to really understand a digital workflow of getting those images to the client in a way in which they can use and that they want. Well, anyway, so this email came through to me talking about the idea of a wedding photographer. And I went back to them and I said, well, I'm afraid, no, I don't have any students who could do this. I think this is probably one of the most important days in your life. And it's really important that you get a good photographer who knows what they're doing. Anyway, I got this was the email that I got or part of it. It said this. We are having a very informal wedding and there wouldn't be any unfair pressure on the student other than to deliver the raw files so that I can work on them in Photoshop. If there is anyone that springs to mind as proficient and suitable, then please do put me in touch. Also, if there are any professionals that you know or where to find them, I would love if you could shoot over their contact info. My apologies, I know this is asking a lot, so no worries if you're too busy. Well, of course, who's going to hand over their raw files? And who is this person who feels that they're going to take the photographer's work and transform it in whichever way they wish? Why don't they take the photographs themselves? Why don't they get a family member to do it? And then they can fiddle with the raw files. I got back to them in a polite way and said that I didn't know of any professional photographer who would hand over raw files. And the way to find photographers is to go onto Google and to do a bit of research. It's not that I'm being awkward and it's not that I don't want to be helpful. But what I do feel is that sometimes the people who are looking for photographers need some education. At the end of each podcast, I always say, take care. And hey, guess what? I didn't. The way in which I ended up on my back for two weeks was trying to lift heavy pieces of furniture on my own in an inappropriate way. And hey, guess what? I got injured. Happened to me back in 2018. I did the same thing. I got the same outcome. You'd think I'd have learned by now. Obviously, I haven't. But the pain that I've been in over the last couple of weeks sure has taught me the importance of taking care. And I think sometimes as photographers, we forget that. 
We're lumping around big boxes of equipment. Maybe we've got heavy camera bags on one shoulder. And over time, this can do us damage. Now, I don't want to sound like some kind of evangelist here. There's nothing worse than the person who's given up smoking, trying to get everyone else to stop smoking. I've never smoked, by the way, but I hear that that's a particularly unpleasant kind of way to go about things. But I do think it's important, perhaps, to stress a few things at this point, particularly if you're getting of an age where these things become a consideration. So here we go. The person who got me out of trouble was the orthopedic uh, practitioner who was able to come and manipulate my body. And so I spoke to him and said, listen, can you give me some advice that I can pass on to fellow photographers? As I know that an awful lot of you have been in the same situation as me. And I should say also, thank you so much for all the kind words, the advice that's been given also. So here's the thing. Learn how to pick things up. Even if that's just a YouTube video or going to a specific class, But learning to pick things up is a practice that we should all be following with bending our knees and keeping our back straight and everything else. We all spend an awful lot of time at a computer screen nowadays. Now, what he suggested to me, that was the orthopedic guy, was a kneeling chair, a particular chair that gives us better strategy. Don't use office chairs, he said. They're no good for you. They're compressing your spine. So look for a kneeling chair. You can pick them up relatively cheaply. I've put one in the shed now. I'm getting one for inside the house office also. Alongside that, why not consider something like Pilates? I know that's something I'm now having to take on board, and it's something I'm going to be beginning. That idea of that overall fitness and flexibility. Obviously, we all do some form of sport, but the daily walk is so important also. Alongside that, he also suggested going along for some kind of an orthopaedic checkup, maybe once or twice a year, just to make sure that everything's going along okay. So it's just a few tips there that I hope you will find useful. And I hope you don't find my comments condescending. They're certainly not from a professional, but they are from somebody who's been in extreme pain now for far too long. And I wouldn't want you to have to be in that situation. And it seemed to me worth passing on a few of those reminders because they were things that I'd forgotten. And I think particularly nowadays with photographers spending so much time working in post-production and working with screens, it's really worth considering these very simple changes to our lifestyle. Anyway, that's it for this week. I'm pleased to say that I've got through the recording without any pain, although I'm still on some quite heavy anti-inflammatory drugs. Maybe that's affected my sort of, as I say, evangelical stance on this this week. Anyway, we'll get back to normal next week, that's for sure. And uh, we'll be going back to weekly podcasts. For those of you that missed last week's podcast, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. I hope your walks and your dog walks and all the other places you listen to the podcast um, weren't too interrupted last week. So all I've got to say, of course, is take care. (laughs) 